0: indeed and welcome to the science show on this station and heard around the country thanks to the community broadcasting network it's a science show without a name we're one more week without a proper name for this show but don't worry we'll be back bigger and better with an even bigger better name this time next week my name's chris stewart and joining me in the studio for a bit of science this week we've got adam richardson matt francis ian Wolfe, and behind the desk with all the panels and slidey things is jackie hayes In this week's show, we've got going in search of lost worlds and lost tribes. We've got some evidence for big, long, stringy things in outer space, or maybe we don't. And we've got a mystery to solve, a forensic mystery. We don't know much about it. We're a bit scared. But first of all, we need to have this week's science news with Adam Richardson.
1: Researchers from Harvard Medical School have discovered that not all placebos are alike. They conducted a trial between a placebo version of acupuncture and a sugar tablet for the relief of pain. When patients were offered one placebo or the other, in neither case did they show any improvement. But when the same patients were then split up and put in a trial of either the fake acupuncture versus the real thing, or the fake placebo tablet versus the real thing, it was noticed that patients who took the fake acupuncture showed greater decrease in pain than patients who were given the placebo tablet. It was also noticed that when patients were informed of the side effects of acupuncture and chemical pain medication, the patients who were given the placebo tablets had more side effects than the patients who were given the fake acupuncture. This study gives the first insight into how specific instances of the placebo effect differ between placebos and clinical environments. The aim is to understand how the ritual of healing affects the health outcomes. A combustion engine with a difference has been patented by SRI International in the United States. The company has been trying to develop a small internal combustion engine for the use of the U.S. Army in small robots and spy planes, but could one day find use in lawnmowers, leaf blowers and various other household items. In a new engine, in a normal engine, there is a very small leak of combustion material between the piston and the cylinder. As engines get smaller, the relative size of the leak gets bigger, making small engines very inefficient. The new design replaces the piston with an elastic material such as rubberized Kevlar, forming a very strong, flexible membrane. This membrane has no leaks and hence good chemical efficiency. When the fuel air mix explodes, the membrane balloons outward, pushing on a mechanical crank arm resting on the outer surface. The expanding membrane also has thinner walls, allowing heat from the combustion to rapidly escape and hence yields a higher thermal efficiency as well. NASA has decided to divert funds away from scientific research and back into the aging space shuttle program, a move that has been dubbed extremely depressing by researchers around the world. Scientific research funding is set to grow by only 1% per annum until 2011, well below the inflation rate, meaning a decrease in funding in real terms. Studies into finding small Earth-like and near-Earth-like planets orbiting other stars have been cancelled or postponed indefinitely. Along with a stratospheric observatory for infrared astronomy, which is a giant infrared telescope mounted on a Boeing 747 aircraft, other cost cuts include experiments to detect gravitational waves, study black holes, and look for hints of life within our own solar system. The money needs to be diverted away from scientific research and into manned spaceflight to compensate for cost overruns. The space shuttle program will cost three to five billion U.S. dollars more than expected to keep operating safely until 2010. The extension to its operational life is due to delays in its replacement becoming available. There are also an estimated 17 more flights to the International Space Station needed for its construction to be completed. But while funding is decreasing to science, the crew exploration vehicle, the replacement to the aging space shuttle, will receive a funding boost of over 75%. NASA says this is needed so that it will be ready for the 2014 launch deadline set by President Bush and for humans to return to the moon, by the President's 2020
0: deadline. And that was all the latest science news here on The Science Show Without a Name, just for one more week. I'm Chris Stewart. Well, I was reading a bit of a story this week which was about scientific excitement followed by scientific disappointment. And so I wanted to run it past you guys and just see what you thought of it because it kind of struck me as summing up Well, something about science anyway. The scientists who were very excited were a bunch of theoretical physicists and cosmologists who, a couple of years ago, reckoned that they'd found evidence for what might have been one of the most startling and exciting things in the universe, a thing called a cosmic string. Just recently, the people who run the Hubble Space Telescope had a bit of bad news for them, but we'll come back to that one in a second. So what's this cosmic string that these people were getting excited about? Well, theoretical physicists tend to study things which are about uh, the universe and where it all came from and what it's all made up of. So these were a bunch of guys who were trying to understand the universe at its most basic. The cosmologists were trying to understand the universe at its, from its largest perspective, not just the bits in the universe, the entire thing. And a cosmic string is a leftover from when the universe was formed way back in the Big Bang. So I want you to cast your minds way back to that first primordial instant when all was just a big fireball. As the universe is expanding out of this Big Bang, there are bits of the universe which have subtly different properties from other bits of the universe, kind of like the facets on a crystal, on a diamond. They all look quite the same, but they're subtly different. And the boundary layers between those bits of the universe... Aware, where you've got some of the universe acting in this way, some of the universe acting in that way. There's a, there's a line between them, and that line is called a cosmic string. Now, this is all very theoretical. We can't go back and look at the early universe and see that they're there, but the mathematics seems to work. And as the universe expands and expands and expands and blows up into this enormous bloody thing we call the universe, these cosmic strings are huge Bigger than a galaxy, bigger than a bunch of galaxies. These massively long but almost infinitely thin strings covering the universe. And so if you could find evidence for a cosmic string, you would have found evidence for some of the stuff that was going on way back in the earliest moments of the universe. So the cosmologists are excited about these things called cosmic strings. But the particle theorists, the theoretical physicists, are also excited because there's a different kind of string that you might have heard about. There's a different theory called string theory. And rather than being about things the size of a universe, string theory is about very, very, very small. Smaller than an atom. Smaller than the nucleus atom. Smaller than the particles that make up the nucleus of the atom. You've got things called strings. superstrings, you might have heard of. But the cosmologists and the theoretical physicists got together and said, when the universe was expanding in the Big Bang, maybe the tiny little strings blew up into huge cosmic strings. So what are they looking for when they're looking for a cosmic string? Well, it turns out that a cosmic string is incredibly energetic and incredibly massive. And so these tiny little clotheslines throughout the universe would be the ones that the galaxies clump around when the universe is forming. That would be where you'd see all the matter. But they're also so incredibly dense and heavy that they would actually form what's called a gravitational lens which means if a cosmic string got between us and something else, like a star or a galaxy, we might see it in more than one place. Well, back in 2003, an observation was made by a bunch of Russian astronomers where they looked up and they saw the same galaxy in two different places in the sky. And they went, hang on, let's look at that again. There's, and it's up there as well. That's the same galaxy. There must be something between. There must be a cosmic string. And everyone, wow, this one observation ricocheted around the world as evidence for cosmic strings and maybe superstrings. That was the excitement. This year in January, the Hubble Space Telescope had a look, looked a bit harder again, and went, guys, sorry, two different galaxies. They look really, really similar, <laughs> look incredibly similar, staggeringly similar, but no, two different galaxies sorry about that and so all the theoreticians and cosmologists went uh bugger and so i'm not quite sure what that says about science but it does say that a bunch of people who spend their lives looking at the very very biggest things you can imagine and the tiniest things that you can even conceive of can get really excited about one measurement and have that all torn away from them by the hubble space telescope in an instant That was It Ain't Necessarily So from Cuban Blues, the Chico O'Farrell sessions. You are listening to a science show without a name for one week more. Next week we'll have a name, we promise. So, the previous story was about the biggest things in the universe, the smallest things in the universe. We scientists have done a heck of a lot to explore our world. We've done a heck of a lot to explore the Earth that we live on. So, it's staggering to think that there are still pockets of the planet Earth where we're uncovering whole new things, whole new species, whole new groups of people. Matt, Francis, you've been doing a bit of research into this. What have you come up with?
2: Yeah, well, there's a couple of things come up recently, um, examples of this. The first is an example of a, basically an entire lost world found in a, in a rugged mountain range, heavily forested mountain range in the, the west of Papua New Guinea. Um, And recently, as recently as December last year, 2005, there was a a joint expedition, Americans, Indonesians and Australian team went into this area. And even the local indigenous people of this area don't go to this mountain. It's just too rugged. Um, They had a lot of guides from the indigenous people from this area, but they themselves don't normally go into it. So this is an area that, as far as the researchers were aware, no humans had ever been into this area so and this is found, a lost world exactly in a lost world and the kind of things they found were amazing enormous giant flowers of species that have never been seen before Ooh. and rare wildlife that was so they could see that there never been human contact because they had absolutely no fear of humans they could pick up these strange never before seen mammals um, move them around and they were completely comfortable with humans i mean eat.
0: there must have been biologists just drooling at this, because normally when you discover something new, it's like a gnat. Hey, I discovered a new gnat. Okay. Fantastic. But this is like a whole jungle Yeah, so new stuff.
2: Some of the things they found was a um, a new rare sort of uh, echidna that was found there, and also a tree kangaroo. Now, the tree kangaroo had been found before, but it was um, thought to only um, be from Indonesia um, previously, but it was found for the first time now in, in, in this place in Papua New Guinea. Um, so one of the researchers was basically quoted as saying it's the closest place to Garden of Eden is, is you're going to find, um, basically on Earth. Um,
0: there so, aren't that many places that, that haven't really been touched by us yet.
2: That's that's right. That's right. These so, um, echidnas are these the same ones that you find in Australia? No, they- no. It's this. It's obviously biologically similar, but they're they're different species. They're called the. Um, I think it's a long-nosed version. A, long, a long-nosed version. Now, I'm not sure what they're called, but uh, they, yeah, they picked up two long-beaked echidnas.
0: See, now, you know that these yeah. guys just got a couple of echidnas from Australia, took them up there, stretched <laughs> them a bit, went, look, yeah. look, quick, yeah. get a paper out of it.
2: And Another thing that this expedition actually did, it actually solved a, a major uh, sort of unsolved mystery in biology, which was um, the location of the, get this, it's called the Berlespsch, Six Wired Bird of Paradise. Oh, that one. I've always been wondering where (laughs) that one was. Apparently Mm. there'd been one sighting ever previously... Um, in a different area by this Um, and so this was in the 19th century the previous sighting and it was given this name at the time but this is now finally they've found where it actually lives Um, they've found and they actually observed a mating dance of a male Berlepschp six wide bird of paradise cool Um, so at least they know that there's
0: there's at least two of them anyway (laughs) there's
2: at least two in the world that we've seen
0: so that's a lost world of of animals and plants but that's not the only lost world that has been uh, uncovered recently
2: Yes. Yes. Exactly. Not only is there this isolated sort of um, ecosystem of, of animals, but um, this has been known for for some time. But there is um, a tribe of people, um, essentially still Neolithic, Stone Age hunter gatherers, that have had essentially no contact with outside humans. Um, and the reason this has come up recently is, in fact, um, this this place where these people live. It's it's known as the the Adamanese Islands, um, the Adaman Islands. And the the tribe is the Sentinelese, the Sentinel Island. Um, And it's a protectorate of India. And the Indian government basically has decided to set up a five-kilometre radius around this island that no one is to go inside because every time people have gone inside previously, they've been killed. Basically, this tribe is extremely hostile to outsiders they are armed with um, bows and arrows. Um, As I said, any, any outsiders that they've seen previously have been killed. Um, and recently, a couple of um, fishermen, illegally fishing in an area nearby, got drunk, their boat drifted into the area, and they were killed by these islanders. Um, a helicopter was sent in to try to recover the bodies, but it was beaten back by a hail of um, arrows.
0: <laughs> nice effort.
2: Does anybody know what these people look like? Well, the they island? have... the. I said there was no contact. There was some limited contact in the late 90s, where uh, there was sort of a program to try and... Um, Start to communicate um, with these people. They're leaving gifts on the shore, and they had some limited contact. But um, in one of the attempted uh, sort of meetings with them, several people were killed, and after this, the project the project was abandoned. So basically, it's a it's a completely sort of cut off tribe, which I think is amazing and, and sort of a treasure of kind of our, our our human history that there is a a pristine tribe of people living as as people have done for sort of. That tens of thousands of years.
0: Well, here's to hoping that the people of the world can leave both this, uh, this group of or this, this tribe on this island and this new, newly discovered lost world up there alone for long enough for them to actually get on with what they do best, which is just existing. You're listening to The Science Show on this particular station. You are listening to The Science Show with no name for one more week. I'm Chris Stewart. And not many people know that we here in the uh, the two SER studios in Sydney consider ourselves to be forensic scientists as well. We've had an interesting case here in the CSI labs. Adam, what can you tell us? Well, I've just got off the phone from the, the Austrian capital, Vienna,
1: where they're looking for a consult because they've got a, a bit of a tough problem. And I thought I'd throw it to you guys. Austria, cool. Austria. I like Austria. Now, they've found... Many songbirds were found dead in the capital of Vienna. Songbirds. Songbirds, so little dead. tweetery things. Now, from the 40 tested, um, they were found outside buildings by concerned Viennese. They were found to have damaged spinal columns in an autopsy. They were also found to have damaged livers. And the final piece of evidence is that their stomach contents
0: contained decayed berries. So. What killed all of these songbirds? Okay, if I can just sum up, because I, I had my pen and I was taking notes. About 40 birds? 40 were tested. 40 were tested, and they had spinal damage. Spinal damage, yes. Liver damage. Liver damage. And tummies full of berries. Decayed berries. Decayed berries.
2: Well, if, 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 if I think if we found a human corpse... That was had limb damage and uh, a spinal damage as well. I think there's a few sort of possibilities. Well, the, well, the main possibility would be something to do with uh, alcohol and then some sort of silly behaviour uh, due to the drinking of alcohol leading to the spinal injury. So that would be my uh,
0: your your uh, your parallel here is someone going out and getting paralytic and then going Arr! and banging into something and hurting and themselves, getting
2: behind a wheel of a car or an airplane. But, but also um, because
0: mm. they've um, because they've been drinking a lot they've got liver damage from the alcohol? Well, possibly. Um, the, the
1: people that found the birds were really concerned because Austria isn't that far from Turkey where there's been a lot of bird flu. Ah, and the symptoms yeah. of bird flu are badly destroyed internal organs, ah. like
0: Ebola would do. So you'd be worried. So that's what got everyone worried. But what is actually going on? Could it be... Can I, can I put forward an hypothesis here? Could it be that the birds have been chowing down on some berries which are fermented, they're getting pissed, they're going for some joy flights, smacking into windows and buildings and things, and going, oh, booger, and falling down (laughs) to the ground with spinal damage, but they also happen to have liver damage from all of the alcohol from the fermented berries. Got it in one. woo (laughs) Well, two
1: or three. And it turns out that their livers are so badly damaged that they've been doing this, like drinking alcohol to obscene amounts for their entire lives and they look like people with
0: term people with terminal liver cancer. So <laughs> this is this is fantastic. We've got a bunch of people over there in Austria who are looking at all these dead birds and going turkey's just over there. Asian bird flu bird flu this is this is trouble people. Come on and then they are quick do an autopsy. Get the bird in here. Get the auto rip it open and berries, didn't expect that one. And spinal damage. No, didn't expect that one. Liver damage not so much either. Guys, I think we got ourselves some pissed birds here.
2: <laughs> so songbirds have joined a lot of animals that get drunk for fun, didn't? Yeah, didn't but these guys push it a little. Well? Yeah,
0: elephants yeah, do Elephants too. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's um, apparently a lot of, lot of problems on, uh, on farms where pigs really quite enjoy eating the fermenting fruit that falls off the fruit trees and if you've ever tried to wrestle a res, wrestle into submission a very large drunken pig <laughs> then uh, you'll know the difficulties of, of having um, having fruit farms and, and piggeries I've next to each other. I've never had that joy but no, I, no. Look, I look forward to it. It's no, a it. It's, well, it's a tricky one.
1: I guess our, um, our recommendation to the Austrian police is to invest in itty-bitty breathalysers. I would
0: say so. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Bird, you're, uh, you're over 0.05, you're not allowed to fly home. Oh, it's a fair cop. Okay. Um, that's all we've got from the CSI labs here in the 2SER studios. Well, that's all the time we've got for in this edition of a science show without a name for the very, very last week. Next week, we'll be back with another half hour of science and we'll actually have a banner to hang ourselves underneath. Anyway, on this week's show, there was myself, Chris Stewart. I had uh, in the studio here with me Adam Richardson, Matt Francis, and behind the desk, making sure that everything was working very, very smoothly, was Jackie Hayes. And the show was produced by Ian Wolfe up here in the plush velvet lounges of the uh, 2SER studios here at UTS in Sydney. We're also broadcast nationwide, thanks to the Community Broadcasting Network. Thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. And, of course, we podcast every week, so you can point your browser or your iTunes or whatever you want to use towards our show. These days we're listed as, what, undiscovered? Undiscovery? Discovery? Something along those lines. What is it, Ian? Ian? Oh, yeah. Okay. Point it towards feeds.feedburner.com slash discovery radio. That's what it was. I knew it was in there somewhere. Listen, if you want to send us an email, drop us a line, tell us how much you love the show, or you got a problem with something we did, you got a problem with that, good idea for a new name, got to get in quick, then send it to, maybe for the last time, discovery at 2ser.com. But that is all the time we have this week, unfortunately, so tune in again next week for another half hour of the best darned science around on community radio and stay tuned for our new name we're as excited as you are
1: Something
0: so good Just can't function